I'm Evan Smith, the Editor-in-Chief and CEO of the Tribune. Have you had fun today? Have you enjoyed this? I mean, great. It's been a, a gratifying thing to see so many people here uh, who care about Texas. As I said before the Murdoch panel, I just, uh, it's wonderful because I think there are so many important issues and more people have to play. Whatever your position is, we want to know what it is and, and just participate in this community of ours, this democracy of ours, and, and uh, this is one great way to do it, so thank you. Uh, the title of our final keynote conversation of the day is, What Does the Tea Party Want? And I will provide some context and introductions in a second, uh, but let me do a tiny bit of housekeeping. 60-minute conversation, again, 40 minutes of, of conversation up here on stage, 20 minutes of Q&A at the microphones on either side. I will moderate the Q&A. We'll ask that you line up. Please, civil, respectful, no speechifying. We'll call on as many people as we possibly can. I'll bust you if I have to, but please play, please play nice and respect the people up here, okay? Uh, if you have phones and you are not tweeting, turn them completely off. If you have phones and you are tweeting, some of you will. We ask that you put it to silent, not to vibrate. Let's not disturb the panel or the filming. And use the hashtag TribLive. In your program are the Twitter feeds for the panelists. And we'd ask, obviously, that you try to use the Twitter handles of the panelists if you tweet so we can track all those tweets. Following this program, we are done with our programming for Saturday. There'll be a party in the courtyard of the AT&T Conference Center at 5.30 to 7.30, to which you are all invited. So please join us out there, and then come on back. Tomorrow we have two panels beginning at 9.15. And I expect that as last night was so crowded that some people didn't get in, we're going to expand this room. But for Senator Davis, I expect we're going to have every single square inch of this room full tomorrow. So get here early, please. So back to our panel, what does the Tea Party want? Before I pose that question formally to this group in various forms, let me offer a bit of context. The state of Texas, I would submit to you, is not the one-party state of old or even the two-party state that has been of late the democratic ideal. These days, it's a three-party state, a third, a third, and a third. A third Democrats, a third traditional Republicans, and a third Tea Party. The polls bear that out, and all the evidence gleaned by watching the unfolding of the legislative and electoral processes lately in Texas do as well. But the three parties aren't created equal, at least at present. Judging by the seven months or so of the 83rd session alone, the dominant narrative in Texas is not Republican versus Democrat, it's Republican versus Republican. <clears throat> Certainly that's the case in a state with very few competitive elections in November. Thanks to redistricting, almost all the action is in March. The primary is, for all practical purposes, the general election. Already we're seeing a version of this play out in the 2014 races. In places like Capel and Lampasas and Gatesville and Terrell and all across Texas, Tea Party candidates have announced their intentions to run against incumbent Republicans, in some cases veteran Republicans, the kind of Republicans who were, until recently, never said to be insufficiently conservative. Times have changed and tactics have changed. As Representative Stickland said to me earlier this year when I asked if he planned to seek re-election, I'm coming back and I'm bringing friends. Let us accept and acknowledge that the Tea Party is not going anywhere, so what does the Tea Party want and how do they get it? To discuss this, we've assembled an all-star panel of Tea Party stalwarts, from the grandfather or the godfather of the grassroots revolt, to two of the younger but by no means quieter or shyer members of the legislature elected under that banner. From left to right, Dick Armey, the Honorable Dick Armey, was U.S. House Majority Leader from 1995 to 2003. You know he represented Texas in Congress for a total of 18 years and subsequently served as chairman of FreedomWorks. Joanne Fleming is executive director of Grassroots America, We the People, and chair of the Tea Party Caucus Advisory Committee in the 82nd legislative session. She's a former Smith County commissioner. Matt Krause, Republican of Fort Worth, was first elected to represent District 93 in the Texas House in 2012. Julie McCarty is co-founder and president of the Northeast Tarrant Tea Party, she was Texas state leader and a grassroots coordinator in 13 other states for the Rick Santorum presidential campaign in the last election cycle. 
Deborah Medina, familiar face, is executive director of the grassroots group We Texans and was a candidate for the Republican nomination for governor in 2010. She is contemplating a run for comptroller, also as a Republican. I guess contemplating is probably the right word. <clears throat> and as of the last couple of days, apparently is contemplating a run <laughs> for governor of Texas as an independent in 2014. <laughs> Finally, always on the far right, Jonathan Stern. <laughs> we said we'd make that joke backstage, yes. actually. Republican of Bedford, who, like Representative Krauss, was elected to the Texas House for the first time last November. He represents District 92. Please join me in welcoming our distinguished panel. So I, I want to begin, really, with the backdrop of the last 72 to 96 hours, because if ever there was a moment to ask the question, what does the Tea Party want, it is after watching largely Senator Cruz, but also Senator Lee and some other self-described Tea Party members of the U.S. Senate, engaged in an effort to not change an outcome on some levels. They went into it knowing openly that their likelihood was defeat, what they wanted to accomplish. But they said, we're going to stand on core conservative principles anyway, consequences notwithstanding. Uh, Representative Army, you have been, Leader Army, you have been in the middle of these kinds of fights before. And like I say, you were there at the very beginning. Tea Party, before Tea Party was cool. Would you talk to us about what you witnessed and whether you think uh, this is a sign of things to come as the Tea Party decides uh, what it wants to do going forward? Well, first of all, uh, I, I can't resist this. You asked, what does the Tea Party want? And I've got to start off by saying they're tax-exempt status. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. IRS joke noted. No, That's no, fine. I watch that. uh, yes. I, I watch this because the first thing you have to understand about the Tea Party movement is it is a movement. And I like to remind Tea Party activists across the country these are constitutionally limited small government activists that hold our Constitution dear as a precious document. And their hope in life is to have a government that knows, appreciates, and respects that instrument, uh, that miraculous instrument called our Constitution. And what they, uh, they, they form themselves together as a movement, and we watched this sort of carefully. My guy, Brendan Steinhauser, in, in 2009, probably spoke to more organizers and more Tea Party chapters across the country in more states than any single person. And we always saw the consistent theme they're scared of the Democrats and disappointed with the Republicans. And they want people in office that have values that transcend politics, that go to larger matters, not the least of which in their mind was the preservation of the greatest republic in the history of the world. And they were disappointed. So in a sense, these activists have gone about the business of helping such folks get elected. Notice this. Virtual, well, without exception, they've only gotten elected as Republicans. And I like to remind my, my friends, for example, that Ron Paul was probably the most uh, famous libertarian ever, but he only got elected as a Republican. In fact, the matter you're going to get elected as a Democrat, you're going to get elected as a Republican. Yeah. Very few people are going to get elected any other way. So, leader, do you think that on the basis of what you said, the, the description of what the Tea Party's mission, as it were, is, did what you see from Senator Cruz, Senator Lee, and the others comport? Yes, because they understand public policy has been pretty much defined by Democrats that don't care and Republicans that don't dare. And all of a sudden, they see in Senator Cruz, somebody says, I dare. I dare to be unpopular. I dare to be considered a bit of a uh, what a hit, but I dare to fight for what I believe in, and they're they're encouraged by it, and they understand. To get to where they want in policy outcomes, they have to carry the game further. But they say at least we have a beginning. We have a Republican who shares our faith in this great nation and is willing to fight for it. That's a big deal. Ms. McCarty, what what Leader Army is saying is it's a beginning. It, so that's one way we can look at what happened over the last couple of days. Right. And I think your original question was, is it worth it? Do you take a stand when you know you're going to lose? And what we see as a Tea Party, I can't even tell you how many new Tea Party members we have now. 
because he took that stand. It puts it in front of everybody. They get energized by it. They don't care. People are not involved in politics because they feel like, I don't have a voice. What I want, nobody's going to represent. Um, but when they see someone like Ted Cruz take a stand, that draws them in. And maybe we're going to lose this time, but next time we'll have more people and we're not going to lose. And the numbers will grow. Right. With each time that something like this happens, the numbers grow and then maybe you get closer and closer. Exactly. And closer. Ms. Medina, since, <clears throat> pardon me, you're running for controller, we think. Uh, let me pose this question to you. We said backstage, it's, it's easy to forget that the Tea Party, TEA, stands for something, taxed enough already. Do you think that what you saw this week with the fight over the Affordable Care Act ties back to the original mission of the Tea Party, which is this is an economic movement more than anything else? You know, given that it's a movement, I think it's hard to put everybody in one box. Right. Um, there are people who say the federal government has no business in health care, and they'd be right. There are people who say the federal government has no business forcing me to buy insurance, and they'd be right. Yep. And, and there's probably all kinds of variations of that theme out there. Uh, I think at the end of the day, what people saw was they, they disagree with the policy, and Ted Cruz was the guy who was standing up um, on their behalf and in defense of those ideas yep. and strongly um, articulating those concerns. And he may not have said it exactly the way they would have said it, but they see in him the same set of values that they, they have. And so he was essentially speaking for them, whether the words were exactly their words. Uh, Representative Stickland, you heard Ms. McCarty talk about growing numbers in the Tea Party. As I uh, alluded to in the introduction, that's kind of been your personal mission, right. is to increase the number of people in the Tea Party ranks, again, whatever that means, who would push the idea that there are core principles on which we stand, and even if we lose, maybe we win in the end, because the further we go down the path, we pick up people along the way, friends. And in the end, our numbers make it possible that our agenda is the agenda. That's really your mission. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's different phases of this movement. Um, first, it was educating and realizing that we're not alone. I'm not some crazy guy who uh, is all alone out there. And I, I believe now, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the Tea Party's dead. I've, I've heard that. Um, in who the, says that? Well, in the last couple of months, it's died down. But there was a period there where people said, well, the Tea Party, you know, those guys, are not, they're not effective. They're not growing. Uh, there's, there's really nothing there. It's, they're going to go away. Yeah. I think one of the things that the Tea Party has done is educate themselves. We are far more involved in the process and understand how to be effective and how to get things done. Right. So I think we're in a different phase of our growth, if you will. And right now, we're at a point where we've established ourselves. We know how to win races. Uh, we know what issues connect with everyday voters, specifically in the Republican primary. And now we need to start implementing that. Yeah. Representative Krauss, what, what Mr. Stickland says I think is, is true, although the minute you begin working within their process and their system to advance your goals, you run the risk of becoming like them. And in fact, one of the challenges for the Tea Party, my observation over the last couple of cycles has been, people run as Tea Party conservatives, they get elected, and all of a sudden they become part of the problem, not part of the solution. They go, oh, this is what it's like in first class. Ah, I get it. Right. And then it's very hard for them to actually uphold the core principles, or maybe they just decide, well, I can compromise a little here and a little there, and suddenly they're just another person elected to office. Right. You know, the famous movie line, I've seen the enemy and it is us. Right. You know, that's what they come back to. And you were saying earlier, there's a third Democrats, a third Republicans, a third Tea Party. Roughly. But I think it's interesting when you're talking about primary elections, there's really only two groups. Democrats and conservative Republicans. Nobody runs as a moderate in the Republican circles. Well, and nobody so, runs as a moderate as such. Right. And nobody so, wants to be saddled with that label, and they don't want to saddle themselves with it. Exactly. So right. I, I think when we talk about the Tea Party, it's not necessarily an emerging group, an offshoot of something that's brand new. It's just the people saying, we tried to elect these people. What they said on the campaign trail didn't match up to what they did when they got into office. We need to have people who make sure that what they say on the campaign trail is exactly what they do once they get down to Austin. And I think that's why you see this third group, the Tea Party coming out because they're tired of sending people down who disappoint them. Um, but you're right. You always run the risk of once you get down here being a part of the process and it looks different. It's not where you stand, it's where you sit. You know, you've heard that said before. Yeah. So you do run that risk, but if you're going to be effective, you have to be a part of the process and we have to work through the processes to get things done. Let me go to Ms. Fleming if I can. You're a veteran of these wars. You've yeah. been looking at this stuff and involved in it for a long time. Both Leader Army and Representative Krauss talked about disapp disappointing Republicans or Republicans who dis disappoint. Uh, 
you know, there's two schools of thought here. Is that on, on the one hand, there's a kind of purity test, a cleansing, if you will, of people who are, who are impure Republicans. On the other hand, it's, it's the civil war mentality. You're fighting your own, and in doing so, you give the other side an opportunity to, to, to win. And I'm thinking specifically of the Senate race in Delaware, in which Christine O'Donnell lost, the, the Senate race in Missouri, where Claire McCaskill was able to come back from the dead and win, the Senate race in Indiana, where now an Indiana Democrat, who would have imagined such a thing, is, is representing that state in the, in the Senate. It's a balance, it's a fine line to walk between on the one hand saying we don't want Republicans to disappoint and on the other hand saying we would rather go down entirely than have somebody who is not 100% with us. Well, and Evan, that goes right back to the original premise. What do Tea Party, what does the Tea Party want? Um, I think that as the movement has matured, I certainly see more and more leaders saying we've got to field credible candidates. You've got to do opposition research on your own candidates. I tell candidates, and I've, I've been, you know, candidates like to date me. Uh, when they get ready to run for office, they, I'm one of the people that they call. So I've been doing this for 21 years, and yeah. I always tell them, is there anything that you don't want your spouse, your pastor, your friend, your best friend to see on a billboard? Because if you've got anything that you don't want seen on a billboard, you might want to rethink this. Right. So I, I tell people, you know, you need to vet your candidates before you go get behind a candidate. You need to question them on those core principles. Are they people who are articulate? Can they express themselves right. without shooting themselves in the foot? Yeah. Uh, but it gets back to, to what, makes, what makes the movement grow? It is watching someone like Ted Cruz stand for principle, even though he's going to be derided, even yes. though he's going to be uh, laughed at and made fun of. That's why the grassroots conservative movement coalesced around Ted Cruz is because we believe that he would be a fighter. So let's, let's segue into, if you don't mind, into the legislature. I didn't tell you that we're making progress, and here's how. In the Texas House, we had 30-31 vote against the budget this time. That's, that's been, you know, normally it's not heard of. Here's what Tea Party activists want, and here's what we really have a problem with establishment Republicans, yeah. it are things like corporate welfare. You know, we're tired of them beating up Washington, D.C., for handing out goodies to selected people. But then here in Texas, we do the same thing. Do the thing. same thing. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you know, a physician heal thyself. Yeah. It's about if you're going to beat the daylight. Apparently all the corporate lobbyists are, are making it rain outside. <laughs> you, you, you've disappointed the gods, I well, think. Well, okay. Yeah. That's good. I've done yeah. it before. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying that we, you know, that's one of the things that I like to say, and that's why the establishment Republicans get so angry with us and makes them want to burn the village down. I mean, Representative Stickland, I know you wanted to get in this. I want to let you in, but I want to ask you off of, of Ms. Fleming's question. Go, the Indiana race specifically. So you all, by which I mean the Tea Party in a broad sense, not you all specifically, didn't like Richard Luger, the longtime senator from Indiana, enough that when uh, Richard Murdoch, the state treasurer, came forward to run, there was a Tea Party push to defeat Luger. In the end, wouldn't you have been better off with Luger than Joe Donnelly, the Democratic senator? Well, I, I, you know, let, let's, let's compare that to what we dealt with in the Texas House. Okay. Because there were a lot of people who had that same argument, and we ended up with what we had uh, with, with leadership and a bunch of the reps and what have you. We got a bunch of Republican-led uh, things go through. We increased the budget by 26%. Right. You're talking about this time. You know, there's a, you know that there's a counter case that some Republicans would make about spending. Well, not, let, me, let me jump in here because yeah. I, I happen to have some pretty strong feelings about what happened in Indiana. Uh, Murdoch should have won that race. What has happened, and it happened very clearly in that case and in Missouri, those folks on the right, in this case, the right to life people, pushed the candidate into making public statements by which he ended up being being fried. When I ran in 1984, I was a consummate outsider. Nobody knew who I was. You were a college professor, right? I was a college professor, so there was every reason to not trust me. 
Tell I go to the Texas, the head of the Texas Right to Life. He says, "How? What are your convictions on the rights of the unborn?" I spoke them as strongly and clearly as I could. He said, "That's great. I love you. Now keep your mouth shut about it." Because and I said, "What?" He says, "Because it's not a subject people are comfortable with. When you ask, state your position and move on." Now, in both Indiana and Missouri, we had a, a Republican nominee that shared our commitment to the Constitution, who got pushed by their base organization to which they felt a sense of loyalty, in the case of Right to Life, to try to educate people on this subject. And that cost them both their election. Sometimes you're better off just keeping your damn mouth shut. Right. My wife has That's told right. me that a hundred right. times. Right. At some point, you've got to learn that lesson. But those are two cases. Now, the third race you talked about it was interesting. i got to mention this. They, they always argued about the Tea Party movement folks that if, in fact, your favorite doesn't win the primary, will you stay home and abandon us to, the, to a Democrat victory? That never happened. The Tea Party activists never stayed home and abandoned the nominee. But the Republican Party regulars did in two Senate races in the year 19... Uh, 2010. Right, Sharon Angle being the, the other one in that race. Um, uh, Ms. McCoy, let me ask you to, to, to speak to Army's point. Are, are you prepared to take half a loaf, as the old saying goes, better than no loaf? Is, is the Tea Party better off with an imperfect Republican than a Democrat? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, and I know earlier you and I talked about are we one third Tea Party, one third Republican, right. one third Democrat? And I kind of raised my eyebrows because. Um, I didn't want to ever give the impression that the Tea Party is a third party. We're right. not. We must work within the parties. It's a, you're splitting votes. You, you know, everybody knows those arguments. Yeah. Um, so if, if we are given the choice of someone that agrees with us a little bit or someone that agrees with us not at all, why would we be foolish enough to go with not at all? I mean, right. it, it doesn't even make sense. So just quickly back to the, to the Ted Cruz and Mike Lee business of this week. How many people up on this stage would be prepared to have a government shutdown if uh, they can't get through a defund Obamacare provision? Would you be willing to shut the government down over defunding the Affordable Care Act? Show of hands. Yeah, but that's a false choice, Evan. Right. Okay, well, tell me, tell me why it's a here's, false choice. But so, so for the record, one, two, three, four, five, but not the guy who's actually been through a government shutdown. I got the stars to prove it. Right. Well, we're going to come to that. We're going to come back to that. Ms. Here's, here's why that's a false choice. What the House should do is that they should pass an appropriations bill to fund the military. They should send it to the Senate. They should pass a bill to fund Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, send it over. They should send a bill over to fund every single thing in government except the one thing, the Affordable Care Act, which is going to hurt jobs, hurt young people, and it's going to fail in the way that it delivers health care even to the elderly. I mean, and it's not ready for prime time. Even President Obama's people have said they're not ready to go. They're not going to be ready to go on Monday so, or on the 1st. So what I'm saying is that's a false choice. I mean, to, to say that we have to have a government shutdown, if the Republicans would just cruise up <laughs> and stand there and do the right thing instead of talking about, well, you know, we've got these processes and it's just too hard and, you know, we've never done it this way before. Well, you know, it's time to try something different because what they're doing is not working. Anybody of the four of you who put your hands up want to get in on this, disagree with that, or, or support it, say something else? I mean, Ms. Fleming was pretty clear about yeah. it. Before we let Speaker, uh, Leader Army, pardon me, tell you why you're all wrong. So, <laughs> anybody else want to get on this? Please. Well, I, I think Joanne said earlier, you know, we need Republicans who dare. And yeah. we keep being scared into these positions that the, the you know, world is going to stop turning. If we don't, we're giving all of these voice, false choices. Yeah. Uh, she's absolutely right. There are other ways to keep the government operational. That is a bad choice. But if that's the corner you want to push us into, then we have to be courageous enough to say we'll stand in that corner. Yeah. Um, we've got to fight for the things we really Representative Stickland. And just to say it a little bit different way, uh, the Republicans are real bad playing chicken. I can't tell you how many right. times during the legislative session when 
We get pulled in the back room, we can have all the transportation bill. At the very last minute, we had a deal that everyone was happy with, and a group of moderates came over to the conservative wing and said, guys, I know we talked about this, but we just need to change this one little thing or we're going to lose everybody's support. The whole bill, third special session, there's going to be a fourth, the whole world's going to end. And we all said, absolutely not. Yeah. We had a deal. We're going to the floor, this is the way we're voting. And we passed it overwhelmingly. Yeah. Same thing happened on my email privacy bill. Jonathan, if you put that amendment on that bill, it's going to die in flames and we're not going to get any of it at all. Right. Two people voted against it. We have to stick to our principles yeah. and take it down to the wire. Le Leader, you don't, you don't agree on this. Well, uh, first of all, my, my faith, my hope, my loyalty, and my dreams are all wrapped up in my love of this country and the Constitution. And quite frankly, I'm not very much impressed with politicians in either party. But I'm stuck with the fact that the only champions I can have are Republicans in office. So what can they do? I would suggest to them that don't change the subject for Obama and let him off the hook by shutting down the government so he can rat and rail about heartless Republicans that are starving babies. Don't give him that. Instead, keep the subject on Obamacare, where he's hurting. And America wins. The more he hurts, the more this country wins. So I would, I would tell them, pass three bills very quickly. One, that says nobody gets an exception of any kind under Obamacare that isn't automatically then available to everybody. That takes care of the rap against the Congress, and it shuts down Obama's cherry-picking on behalf of his political allies. Right. Two, that uh, we're going to delay the implementation of Obamacare for at least a year. Nothing's going to happen until we can sort this thing out. And then three, that there will be no funds that can be appropriated for the administration of Obamacare. All three of those bills will pass the House in a, in a minute and put the, de the, the Senate in a pickle. But Obama loses because America's for all three. Now, once you've done that, pass your clean bill and don't give him the chance to paint you as some kind of an eagle ogre. We, when we shut down the government in 95, we had already funded all of the mandatory spending and half of the discretionary spending, so we literally shut down only 8% of the total budget. Nothing other than perhaps debt limit is as hyperbolically demagogued as a government shutdown. You'd have thought the nation was in a catastrophe of monumental proportions, and all we did was lay off a couple of park guards for a couple of weeks. So, and this is where we got to get smarter. It's we, yes, we got to fight, and we got to fight for what we believe in. But we also have to fight in a manner that allows the other side to lose so we can move the ball on them instead of leave the ball in the center of the field. So we end up, we got a big fight. We've got a new hero. We love him dearly, and, and, and well, we should. But the ball hasn't been moved one inch in the direction we need it to move to keep our children free. Uh, Ms. McCarty and, Mr. and Ms. Fleming, let me ask you, is the Tea Party a movement better uh, uh, in, in uh, process or in operation outside? You, you are outside leaders, Ms. Medina, you too. You've all been outside the process looking in. Is this a conversation that is better conducted out in the, out in the field, as it were, as opposed to in the Capitol in Austin or in Washington? I think it, do, it needs to be in both places. Needs to be in both? Both places, yeah. yes. I, I completely agree, only because when he starts telling ideas and he can, he can give the history and he has thoughts that I've just never been exposed to that much. You know, my mind doesn't work like his mind works because I've not ever had to be that person. So to hear his ideas, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So right. definitely it needs to happen inside, but they need to listen to us too. They need right. to hear that all of America, I mean, the majority of America, right, is against Obamacare. They're not even listening to us. So, Ms. Medina, the, the conversation that, that we're having here, Ms., Ms. McCarty and Ms. Fleming, about the importance of listening to people outside, that was actually Senator Cruz's point this week. In fact, the hashtag, I think, was make D.C. listen. The idea is that somehow elected officials have stopped listening to people back home. you believe that? 
I absolutely believe that, and I think we, we see it, you know, we hear it all the time. The voters are the smartest people in the world until we get elected, and then once somebody is elected, the voters don't have any sense, and, and you hear it when you walk the halls in Austin. People don't understand what really happens here. If you understood what really happened here, you'd vote this way or that way. Um, there is a reason that our founders believed we'd have citizen legislators. People would go in, they'd serve for a time, they'd go back and live under those laws, because... Yeah. Uh, it, we, we do have this political royal class that is insulated from the workaday public and what's really happening out there. And it's difficult when you're in that bubble to be able to make good, strong decisions. So I think uh, very uh, contested primaries is, is a healthy process. I think putting people up against one another and challenging so that we have that back and forth right. uh, deliberation. Uh, part of what I'm concerned about in my own uh, candidacy in this in this primary cycle is how do you have a deliberative process? How do you have a contest? You know how hard I had to work to get on the stage in the governor's race, and look what that did uh, for that race. Right. Your final total in the governor's race in 2010 in the primary was nearly 19 percent. Nearly 19 percent. But beyond that, that moved the whole dialogue. I'll submit to you that moved the dialogue and public policy in Texas, not just in the governor's race, yeah. but in the 83rd legislative session. Yeah. Let, um, me, let, me, let me make a point, because I remember your race, and there was something unique in that race. Me. And very refreshing. <laughs> we had a candidate who defined their behavior and projected their future behavior relative to policy outcomes. Most candidates for public office posture themselves relative to political outcomes. Right. Politics is intellectually and morally inferior to just about everything you can imagine. And if we can cause the whole public debate to be around what will be the public policy outcomes that will make our children more or less free in compliance with the genius of our Constitution, we will win. And we will deserve to win. Well, but I didn't. <laughs> well, but you didn't that's the issue. No, I told Laura. I think he's, I think he's paying you a compliment, actually. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, yeah. and, and maybe to what Julie said earlier, we we lost, but we won. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the Deborah Medina campaign of 2010, not this individual, but that whole campaign, those 275,000 right. Texans who got behind that, are engaged now in House rep races. Jonathan will tell you that yeah. the folks that worked on my campaign were real instrumental in putting him in the House and Matt in the House and others. And so we continue to engage, and we see a lot of victories in that right. way. But we still have a real dilemma um, in our movement, and that is how do we not just engage um, in a discussion but actually begin to win races? Um, Joanne has said they'll burn the place down before they'll let Tea Partiers have really places of leadership in our state. Why do you think that is? And who specifically is keeping the Tea Party from being well, well, in that position? Well, let me just say this. It's, it's interesting if you hear the, the Republican during the, the legislative session. Name, by the way, name names. <laughs> well, well, I'm not. Here's why I'm not. Stickland will, will name names. <laughs> You, you, you can dodge. I'm, I'm, name names. No, so I'm not dodging. I'm okay. debate master next week in the lieutenant governor's debate. So yes. I'm not going to name names right now. Um, anyway, because I really want them to show up so I can ask them questions. Okay, you'll name names next week, though. Okay, fine. So, uh, Evan, what, what it comes down to is there are, people, there are people in the legislature that are happy to be there. They're happy to stay there. And they are all wanting to figure out how they're going to rearrange the deck chairs so who gets to move up the yep. food chain and whose turn it is. You know, the running story down here is whose turn is it now? So what we want to interject into the conversation is this. Let's have a substantive conversation about corporate welfare. Is that a core function of state government to pick winners and losers in the state economy? You say you don't like it, Republicans, when Washington does it. Well, what makes it right in the state of Texas? Uh, handing out special, you know, all, the, all these millions of dollars in taxpayer uh, incentives to, to companies that can well afford to move here. Uh, and it's just simply because they're addicted to other people's money. It sounds to me you don't like Governor Perry very much. Well, let me just say this. It is wrong no matter who it is, no matter who it is. We don't need to pay people to come to the state of Texas. 
And that is something that the Tea Party most definitely wants, is to, stop, is to no, stop doing that. And I'm going to, you know, people get mad here about this, but I'm going to tell you what. When you look at the core functions of state government, you don't see Formula One racetrack there. You, you don't see Caterpillar. You don't, I mean, all these companies that have blown through here and have gotten the favors. Because, you know, there's been some studies that show, you know, the people that get the money, somehow some of that campaign money goes to a campaign. I'm just saying, that's what happens here. We need to have a good discussion about that. We need to have a discussion about why the state of Texas, the debt has increased 125% in the last 10 years. Is that smart? If we don't like Washington debt, why, why is it okay for the state of Texas to lead the nation in road debt? So we need to get out of this little, okay, we're Republican and we're going to be conservative when we run for office and we're going to be pro-Second Amendment and we're going to be pro-life and everything's well with the world. Well, Texas has some big issues that we need to solve, and I think Tea Party people are coming here and putting a new direction on the conversation, and by the way, bringing some solutions. Uh, very quick, Ms. Medina, and I want to go to Mr. Krauss. Ms. Medina. Part of what I think we're seeing happen is a more educated electorate. Daniel Webster said if the republic doesn't secure the prosperity that it should, it's not because of the elected officials, it's because we haven't elected the right people. And yes. what Joanne's talking about is ideas that everybody can agree with, but how do we get there? We want jobs. We yes. want Toyota. We want Caterpillar. We we want these companies coming to our state, but you don't do that by bribing them to come. You don't do that by penalizing this guy to give to that person. You create a free market. Yep. Um, you enforce contracts. You have low taxation. That brings people here. Yep. And unfortunately, the Republicans have led us down this road where it's all about running up the debt to pay for a bunch of goodies that we can't afford. Right. Right. We're beginning to hear, Mr. Krause, uh, uh, issues come up that are, I think, issues that even though the Tea Party groups in this state may not agree on everything, around the country may not agree on everything, there seems to be general agreement on certain things. I want to ask you about the degree to which social conservatism has been become part of, maybe it's always been part of, the Tea Party conversation. Again, I come back to taxed enough already. It was largely an economic movement that brought people together. But <clears throat> over the last couple of years, you begin to hear people say, well, but the Tea Party is now also getting into some of these other issues that may not have been there at the beginning. And is that really the Tea Party's function? You are a big flag carrier for many issues that are traditionally social conservative issues. Right. Talk a bit about that. Are these can these things be squared? I think so. I think they have to be actually. And uh, you're right. I think it started off as an economic movement. Rick Santelli, I think, in Chicago, talking about the mortgages. Yeah. That's what started the Tea Party movement. But I think it's people, the people that were drawn to the tax enough already crowd, already had those beliefs and values in place that would lead them to be social conservatives as well. And you look at the scorecards: love them, hate them, whatever. If you look at Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, which is economic-based, and then you line that up with Texas Eagle Forum or Concerned Women for America, which are pretty much predominantly social-based, you'll see about the same top 20, 25 people on both lists and the same bottom 25, 50 people on both lists. Right. And so I think that shows that if, if you're willing to protect life here, you're probably willing to protect the wallet over here. There are certain things that go together right. that where we see fiscal conservatives and social conservatives, you hardly ever see somebody at the top of a fiscal list and the bottom of the social or vice versa. Is, is, Representative Krause, is the, and I'm going to come to you on this as well, Mr. Stickland, is the Tea Party enough of a big tent that a bunch of pro-choice people who wanted to see uh, lower taxes and the government out of business and all the sort of issues that on the economic side you're for, would you welcome those folks into your... I just get a clarification. You mean pro-school pro choice or pro-abortion? I mean the latter. I mean, there are the two anyway. ways we can get I mean, I mean the latter. Maybe the more conventional way of people thinking about pro-choice. Right. Would you, would you be willing to welcome those people into the Tea Party? Oh, absolutely. And it depends on what issue you're dealing on. You know, your, your enemy one day is your friend the next day. I mean, that's, that's politics 101. Right. And so it depends on what issue uh, you're dealing on. But absolutely, if we're together on corporate welfare or something else, let's have, I don't care what your issue's on or abortion right. or, or other social issues, let's work together on that. We may disagree over here, but absolutely. Uh, Representative Stickland, I want to ask you about leadership. So we hear a lot about how if only we had different leaders in our House, Senate, Congress, so much of the Tea Party agenda could be advanced. Senator Cruz either said directly or didn't say directly that he believed this week leadership was at least part, uh, part to blame for impeding the progress of his agenda in the Senate on both sides. 
Um, you hear a lot about Speaker Boehner. In fact, the Senator Cruz and I got into an interesting conversation about whether he was wiring around uh, leadership in the House and telling House conservatives, ignore Speaker Boehner as you take back the spending bill from the Senate. Representative Stickland, I don't know if you've been uh, out there in so many words saying that you believe Speaker Strauss is the problem. But I, so I'm just going to ask you, do you believe that the Texas House needs a new speaker in order to enable the Tea Party agenda to rise to the top? Right now, and, and let me say this, uh, I like Joe on a personal level. I really do. And we agree on a lot of things. But that's almost always the run-up to but. No, no, no. <laughs> the, Joe is not the problem. And if you told me right now with the current House layout, if you could get Joe out tomorrow, would you? I don't even know that I necessarily would because the problem is the moderate Republicans who are putting people into positions where they shouldn't be. Well, who's putting people into positions? The Speaker. Who appoints well, committee chairman? The Speaker. Gang of 11, right? Right. The the gang of 11, unofficially, really a gang of 13, now down to four. Many of those people who got Speaker Strauss in have departed. Well, I would, I would you know, just look at the committee side. So, guys got special purpose districts and accounting affairs as opposed to a freshman that gets put on appropriations and energy resources. You know? Right. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's not rocket science to figure out. Um, but, but you still say that you don't believe the speaker is the issue in this case. It's, it's a symptom of the, of the problem. And, and I'll be honest with you. Everybody wants to paint Joe Strauss as a bad guy. I really honestly do not believe that. Joe Strauss lobbied me on one issue, the water bill. That was the only thing that that man ever came to me and said, Jonathan, I care about this and everything. And was he successful? Was he, was he successful? I did vote for HB4, which was the mechanism. I right. did not vote to take money out of the rainy day fund. And Proposition 6 comes up on the ballot. You as a Texan have a responsibility to go vote. Are you for it or against it? I am not going to actively campaign either way on it. I will personally vote no. You will vote no. I will vote no, but let me say this. Water is a very serious problem, and I wanted to seek a solution. I think we had some very good conservative ideas right. to solve that problem. You just don't like that particular solution. I am very upset that we chose to fund the water program out of the rainy day fund instead of putting it in GR. It's a core function of government that should, we should have built a right. budget around that, transportation and education, instead of filling it right. with all the... Let me, just, let me just take the role. I know the answers here. No on Prop 6. No, no. on Prop 6. No on Prop 6. No. No on Prop 6. No. no on Prop 6. You are a Texan again. Yep. Maybe you were no. never not a Texan. For or against it? I'm again, uh, one of the things about the water bill that really distresses me is the redefinition of the property rights. Well, now you're going to get all substantive on <laughs> to, to local water companies. Right. I, I, I'm a rancher. I got my, my little piece of the world. I want to drill a well. I shouldn't go to some water company and get permission and then let them put a meter on, on my well. What do you think? Do you think they're going to let me put a well on my property if they've got a chance to instead uh, sell me water? I mean, that's a, that's a fundamental redefinition of property rights that has to be addressed. So here's six, six no votes on Proposition 6. Uh, uh, you think we need to replace a speaker, Representative Krauss? Replace a speaker? Is the speaker the problem? Well, I, I agree with Mr. Stickland. I, I think I have nothing bad to say about Speaker Strauss at a personal level. He's always very cordial, respectful to me. Um, I, again, I, I think one of the mistakes that we made is people tried to demonize Joe Strauss. When he's, if you meet him in person, he's a very likable guy, very nice yeah. guy. Um, it's hard. You look at him, you say, I thought there were all these horrible things. You see him, it just doesn't compute. And I think what we have to do is make sure we don't focus on a person but a movement. And I think if we did that, then uh, we'd be a lot better off. Outside folks, Ms. Medina, then Ms. McCarty next. Do you think both Speaker Strauss and Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst have been the problem in terms of the Tea Party agenda getting forward in the House and the Senate? I, I think that... I have said there's a problem with the process, and so to that degree, absolutely, Speaker Strauss has to be held accountable for that. I had that discussion with him. You set up a calendars committee. You, you, you say publicly it's about the will of the House. Texas House pro-gun? Where's our pro-gun bills? It's not about the will of the House. 
It's about a little smoke and mirror game, and everybody that sets up those temporary rules for how the house operates knows yep. full good and well that they're going to be able to do things that they can hide from their constituents. We've got to have transparency. Comptroller has talked about transparency of the books. We need transparency of the process so that people understand what's going on. You want to be anti-gun? That's great. Let's have that debate. But don't tell us that we're going to do the will of the house and then put these rules in place that don't allow those things to advance. Speaker Strauss has got to set the example on that, and those rules either need to change or we need to put leadership in who's willing to make sure that we really do respect the votes of the elected representatives of the state of Texas so the will of the people through their elected officials yeah. is done. Ms. M- Ms. McCarty, is leadership the problem? Well, I'd like to go back to what you said earlier. Um, whose fault is it that the Tea Party doesn't have a stronger voice in the House? Well, that's the voters, right? So Northeast Tarrant Tea Party, we started in the Tea Party movement real early in the game, right at you know spring of 2009. Yep. We had great speakers. Joanne was actually one of them. I mean, educating us on all these issues. And what happens? We sent, in Tarrant County, six out of 11 conservative legislators to the House, right? right. It's, it's the voters' responsibility. So it starts ground... Right. And so there's other communities now that their tea parties are growing, and we're looking at, what, another 20 tea party people joining And so the, the theory house? here, Ms. McCarty, is you all ground up, get more numbers and more numbers and more numbers, and the leadership question takes care of itself. Right. Is that it? And, and I want to add this in. Yeah. I, I do think that there's, there were a couple of, like, on transportation, though. The conservatives held the line on that bill, and I think we ended up with something that we were all very happy about right. in the end. So uh, there, there, there were a number of times where we worked with the current House leadership to get stuff through, but we don't always have a seat at that table right, right now. Okay. Yeah. So that's why it's very hard to answer your question when you throw a specific. Now, I'm going to talk about the governor. He's not in a position to put you on a committee that meets twice a year in Siberia. That's what it is. Uh, uh, Leader Army, you can get in this Texas question, but I want to ask you the same thing about Boehner and McConnell. You have the perspective of somebody who's been in Congress. Are Boehner and McConnell the problem? No, my heart goes out to John Boehner. And frankly, he's got the same dilemma that Newt Gingrich and I had in 1995. Look, the majority of the majority sets the agenda. We all understand that. But the majority of the majority is a minority in the body. And the speaker's got a real dilemma. Because he's not going to be a speaker unless he has a majority, which means my two-thirds of my conference that are rock-solid conservatives who will walk through a wall for the Constitution, and the one-third that's maybe a little soft on that issue. He needs them all, and he's got a responsibility to all of them. Now, if he takes for, if take this continuing resolution, in order to make the majority of the majority happy, he has to actually be very, very stingy with the way he administers the rule of the House, put only the continuing resolution on the floor that defunds Obamacare and deny the major- minority party a, uh, a uh, clean continuing resolution amendment in the form of substitute. That's a big stretch for a speaker. You're using the rules of the House to deny participation to what in effect is the majority of the body because if that other bill is allowed on the floor, it passes. It passes with 100% of the Democrat vote and about 30% of the Republican vote. So you're asking the Speaker time and time again to keep the majority of his majority happy by denying the fundamental participatory rights of the majority of the body. Mm. And no Speaker can sustain that kind of despotic behavior for very long without having a, a civil war within his body that puts everything beyond control and that's, of course, what happened to Newt Gingrich. So you're sympathetic, actually, to the predicament. That I, I think you have to understand this right. guy has got to do some creative thinking and be free to do it. And this is what problem we have with John. He's not free to put the creative alternatives out there. On, on, on the table. Let me ask people to line up for questions. I'm going to ask one more question in kind of game show speed round fashion <laughs> before we use the balance of our time for questions from the audience. Uh, And with respect to your old colleague, uh, Mr. Steinhauser, who is now John Cornyn's campaign manager, let me ask this question. Should John Cornyn be challenged in the primary by a Tea Party candidate based on what you've seen, yes or no? Mr. Sticker. Yes, Yes, he should. You bet your bottom. You're not just saying yes, you're doubling down. (laughs) Yes. 
Ms. Medina. Absolutely. Ms. McCarty. Yes. Mr. Krause. I think good contests are always good for the party. Oh, that's not oh. the question I was asking. No, yes. So, yeah, I'm saying absolutely. Okay. Ms. Without Levin? a doubt, yes. Mr. Army, should John Corner be challenged? I think I, I, I've always been of the position that primary is an open race. Let it be a fair race, mm -hmm. but everybody then stand up for the guy who wins the nomination at right. the end. Now, here, but let me say this about that. I remember Paul Weirich down my neck one time. <laughs> Army, he was, I was unforgiving me. I was only 97% with him. What, what, why are you only 97% with me? Well, Mr. Weirich, because you're 3% wrong. <laughs> you know, so let's first recognize our senator is principally with us most of the time and we ought to be somewhat appreciative of that before we go trading horses in midstream. And I was there. Yeah, let, last word on Let me tell you where, where it changed for me. Yeah. Okay. It changed for me when uh, the dishonesty factor in If you want to go out there and say, you know, I'm against this, defend your vote. Don't go out there and blow a bunch of smoke up me and say, I'm against Obamacare and then do that. It was dishonest. If he had just said, now's not the time or I don't think we can do it, I would, have, I would have been in a lot better situation. But the deception of acting like you are against something and then voting to help it along, that's where I have these serious problems Okay, questions. We're going to go left, right, left, right for as long as we can. Sir, please, no speech you find. Let's have a good, quick question. Yes, uh, I'd like to address my question to Ms. Med uh, Ms. Medina. Yes. Now, you talked earlier about, um, we were talking about the budget bill pertaining to defunding Obamacare. And you said that you believe that was right and that that is what you would stand for. And I can respect standing for what you believe. But I, I would say that you'd also say that your job is to respect the American people. Where is the line I mean, where do you factor in the value uh, of, of, the, of the hurt that it will cause the American people to shut down the government? That, that does not serve the people. Where is the value in shutting down the government to prove a point? At, at what point do you st does standing by your principle run smack into what's best for the country, or do you think there's no difference? Well, I think everybody on the stage said that that was um, an invalid choice. There were lots of ways to go ahead and fund the government while defunding the Obamacare program, the Affordable Care Act. But you also said you'd vote for it. I mean, you raised your hand. You said you would defund the government. I, I would. I, no, I said I would stop government um, on that issue. We will, we will get it going again. We will have this debate. We will figure out what we're going to do right. about the health care issue, and it, it won't stop the country. And so there are times right. when you have to... Mm -hmm. Stand your ground and stick to your principles. And if that means, as Jonathan said, and some of the choices that they were given, I don't believe you get there. I think when you stick to those principles, uh, it's a game of chicken. And if there's an impact on the country as a result of it in the short term, fade the heat, stand by, stand by your principles. Stand by your principles. Okay. Sir. Uh, for anyone on the panel, um, with regards to issues like transparency, privacy, the NSA spying, civil liberties, and wars, um, can the panel offer any suggestions to build coalitions between many who self-identify as Tea Party and also progressive Democrats? Yeah, there actually has been this interesting squaring of the circle, hasn't there, on yeah. some of these privacy issues, right? Ms. McCarty, the NSA stuff, um, uh, I mean, it really, it really has become this interesting place where strange bedfellows have come together. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you saw that in the House this year where you had Matt Schaefer, far right, Lon Burnham, far left. They got along very well on their criminal jurisprudence uh, committee because they had a lot of similar interest in those very same areas that you talked about, civil liberties, spying, even on the drone issue. I know there was uh, Democrats uh, who joined with a lot of uh, Tea Party conservatives on that issue. So I think we're seeing that. Ms. McCarty, you're, you're okay with the idea of people who agree with you on nothing else but on these issues coming together. Doesn't that well, Absolutely, because in the end, we're all Americans, right? And so hopefully there are some things that are common ground for all of us. Right, Co building coalitions yeah. is okay. Sure. Sir. Um, I consider myself a pretty intelligent and well-informed person, but the opinions that I've formed on most issues are pretty liberal. I agree with Obama most of the time, and sometimes okay. I think he doesn't go far enough. Um, and so my question is, can you respect that viewpoint as another citizen in this country? And if so, why does the Tea Party seem to be pretty uh, um, uh, uh, not okay with uh, uh, compromising with liberals or even moderate Republicans. Anybody well, have that? I, what, no. I, I'll be glad to do that. Let, let me just say this. I have found, I have served on 21 local government 
working groups, committees, and everything. And I have been usually the most conservative person and the person who asked the most aggravating questions on those committees and working groups. That's just my nature. But I will say you this, tell you this, problems get solved when people come to a table and they have an honest discussion and they talk about here's the problem and here are the different ways we can solve the problem. You can actually solve problems without giving up your principles. And I think there needs to be more of that. And, and if I believe in more government and you believe in less government. I, I tell you why I believe in less government, because the more government grows, the less your freedom your the more your freedom declines. And if the and if freedom ever leaves the United States of America as it was intended with small limited government and lots of personal freedom and, and responsibility, if it ever leaves the United States of America, it's banished from the face of the earth. But Mr. Stickland, if but if his point of view is that big government's actually Big government is actually a safety net for people who don't have access to the things that they need and that there is a, an affirmative role for government to play. You can at least respect the fact that he thinks that and the differences oh, are the sure. difference. And, and, and look, we get blamed a lot of the time for being this extremist who have a heart or racist or bigots or you know, whatever the case may be. And I'll be honest with you, that always hurts my heart because I love people. Okay? Uh, my, my faith in Jesus Christ demands that I love people. I respect you as a person. I respect your ideas. And some of the best friends that I have in the Texas House are the most liberal people. I sit next to Naomi Gonzalez on the House floor. And I still talk to her once a week. And I'll say, too, it seems like the Republicans, Tea Parties, are the one unwilling to compromise. But if you remember in 2009, President Obama sat down with Minority Leader Eric Cantor and said, hey, elections have consequences. I won. I get to do what I want. We just heard from him this week, I will not negotiate on this. And then you hear from Jack Lew, who sent a letter to Boehner. He's not going to negotiate on this. So we've seen time and time again from the president, his administration, Harry Reid, they're not giving an inch or anything either well, as well. You know, Mr. Krause, in fairness, this is an ever thus thing. I remember after President Bush got reelected in 2004 saying, I've got political capital and I intend to spend it. It's not so much this, I, only this president. I, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying right. it's not always the Republicans who are refusing to come. You look at Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, two opposite ends right. of the well, spectrum. They came together. That's absolutely held up these days as some, some, an emblem of days gone by, Mr. Arnold. Well, what I'm, I, I'm bless, bless your heart. I mean, I, I have a lot of liberal <laughs> friends. I was a college professor for 20 years. But the problem with liberals is they're so dang greedy. They, they can't understand the there's, there's a back door, by the way, when we well, leave. I, 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 I just want to 30%, 40% of the American people have a serious problem of funding their health care, then write a law that addresses that 40% of the people and spend your compassion with a sense of focused targeting that really zeroes in. Don't write a law for 100% of the people. If 60% of us are doing fine, leave us alone. Liberals just can't leave you alone. They can't accept that you've got a right to do it for yourself, Dad. I, mean, I gave that right to my five-year-old daughter. Why can't these liberal politicians give it to me? They have a law right now that says if I don't sign up for Medicare, which I don't need, they'll take away my Social Security. They didn't pass a law. They didn't write a regulation. They wrote a policy memorandum. Now that is an excessive, abusive use of their power to force somebody to take from the government that which they don't want and they don't need, and it, you're paying the taxes. So thank you for my Medicare, which I didn't want in the first place, but you get to pay for it. I'm glad to pay the taxes for Sir. somebody who can't afford Medicare. Sir, we're going to go over here, ma'am. I think the uh, Tea Party's bluff on shutting down the government on Tuesday has been called, and it will be shut down. So you my question it is, down. it will be shut down, and, and, and without the uh, safety nets that happened in 1995. So my question is, there's a bigger question coming up, which is maintaining the full faith and credit of the United States This government. is the debt ceiling debate. The debt ceiling issue, right. and the Tea Party's making the same threat. Do you think that is worth it? Right. I hear economists saying that that is going to cause a greater economic collapse than 2008, and then the republic will be threatened. I heard a quote on, on, uh, on one of the shows this week, Ronald Reagan talking about the, pro the prospect of the, uh, of the full faith and credit of the United States being at risk and, and saying, no, 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 can't do that. 
Do any of you here think it would be a good idea to, uh, to put the, the credit rating of the United States at risk? Well, the full faith and credit of the United States is in jeopardy every single day that we forget about addressing the issue of the $17 trillion uh, debt and climbing. Uh, and, and by the way, that $17 trillion doesn't include the debt for Social Security mm -hmm. and all of the other uh, entitlement, so-called entitlement programs. So, it, we, you know what? This just puts it in focus again. What I would like for them to do is to have a serious conversation about how we step away. Uh, you know, people need to put the shovels down and quit, quit supporting the people that are digging the holes. And let's have a discussion on what we need to get, do to get government back inside a constitution-sized box so we do those very few things that we're supposed to be doing and stop, as Dick said, taking over everybody's personal lives. But failing that, Ms. Fleming, if you get to a point where you don't get what you need out of this, and the question is, do you or do you not raise the debt ceiling with the knowledge that if you don't, the full faith and credit is at risk, do you do it? Well, here's what the American people did. I'm going to answer yeah. this. They voted for divided federal government. They voted for divided federal government, Evan. We still have a Republican-controlled House. Right. We have Democratic-controlled Senate. We have a Democratic president. So the American people got what they voted for. So is this messy? It's messy and it's icky. But that's what the founders provided right. for, is this very kind of an open discussion about how do we solve this problem instead of kicking the can down the road. I, 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 I hear you. I'm not sure you told me what you would do. Ms. Medina, will you tell me what you will do? Well, for, I, for or against busting the debt ceiling? Uh, against. Yeah. But what we better be talking about, since we are in Austin, Texas, is what's Texas going to do. That's right. Yeah. Right. Because we have been all screaming at Washington to stop the spending, yeah. quit raising the limit on the credit card. This is the 13th largest economy in the world. We better start looking at what are we going to do as that credit rating is at risk every day. How do we protect the Texas economy? And unfortunately, our leadership's not really talking about that. Okay. Uh, quickly, Mr. Stickland, and then over here. Quick. Okay, sir. I'm going to go ahead and steal this question from our moderator. Uh, he asked Ted Cruz this question last night. But uh, as opposed to uh, repealing Obamacare, which it's, it's clear that's what you're all in favor for, what would you do in order to solve the health care crisis in the United States right now? I think the way I asked the question last night was, I, I know what you're against. Tell me what you're for. Yeah. So, Mr. Stickland, tell me what you're for. I mean, you've talked about this. We have. That's the most uh, frustrating thing is I get asked questions. Uh, what, what do you think about this? What's your reaction going to be? None of us want to talk about this end result. We want to be in the room and solve the problems before we get to that reaction. Yeah. So what do I want to do? I truly believe that when government gets involved in something, the prices go up, access goes down. How do I want to solve the health care crisis that we have right now? I want to get government completely out of health care. Completely. Because I honestly believe that if we have a true free market system, that it'll be cheaper and better for everybody. So no health care reform of the sort that's being proposed, but I assume by that you also mean no Medicare. Yeah. Ideally, absolutely. No Medicaid. It, for, for me personally. Nothing. Yes. One of our problems is, and this is a fundamental problem in public choice behavior, go back to public choice theory 101, is politician always has a self-serving secret agenda. Anybody here that believes the National Democrat Party wanted to write a law to solve the health care problems of America, have to be the worst kind of naive person. They wanted to write a law that put them in charge of health care. You don't give a damn whether you live or die. It's whether or not they control your health care. And you have to understand this. Politicians, ruthless politicians, are about their power, and that's why I say the biggest problem we have in, with respect to an issue like health care Democrats that don't care. They don't care whether you're healthy or not. The first important thing you ever could have done about health care in America for the last 30 years is fix the tort laws and save people the horrible, painful torture of defensive medicine where older people and babies are subjected to unnecessary medical procedures that are frightening and painful in order that the doctor can protect himself from the lawyer. But the Democrats absolutely refuse to ever address that. Do you all on this panel agree with Leader Army that Democrats don't care about whether people are, are healthy? 
I think as individuals, they no. probably no. No, that's not fair. Dude, that's not fair. you're on your own, I'm afraid. No, I know. I understand. It's not a very popular thing. It seems a hard thing to say. But if they, I mean, again, why would you insist that somebody accept a government-mandated coverage under their terms when that person says, I don't need it, I don't want it, I can take care of myself? Why do you go through extraordinary measures of denying their personal liberties so they must take what you force on them and then tell me it's, I'm concerned about their health care? It's not about their health care. It's about you. your power. I have time for one more. I'm sorry. Ma'am. Um, so I came to this trying to have an open mind. I normally probably wouldn't agree with a lot of things y'all say, and I am a little bit disappointed by Mr. Army, your statements that are seem a little off kilter, but um, I'll let that be. Um, one of my big questions, and I apologize for my ignorance, or maybe one of those naive people who thought having affordable care for everybody would be good, um, is what is the big difference between the Tea Party movement and the Libertarian Party? Because I've tried to understand what the difference is, and another question too, I wonder, because I feel like the Tea Party has kind of come out of the economic crisis in 2008, and yeah. hasn't really touched social issues, if it as economic as the economy maybe increases if some of the social issues will be okay let's let's back ask the platform tea party versus libertarian ms medina i have to grab the first part of that where she said i think affordable care would be a good thing i don't think anybody up here believes we want health care unaffordable yeah. We just disagree about the. You just don't like this particular method. We Obama, don't like yeah. government. We believe government regulation drives up the. Right. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I understand what's the cost drivers in healthcare, and it's not that healthcare providers are, are getting paid more money. It's that the regulations are driving up the cost. So, I think that we need to have the substantive debate about because we do we want people to have. Uh, the best quality health care is going to be that provided by right. free market, not that provided the libertari by The libertarian question, again, to the, to the latter part of that, do you all think there's something incompatible with libertarians and Tea Party, or are these essentially halves of a whole, Mr. Krause? Well, I, I think there's a lot of areas they overlap and yeah. coexist. I mean, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. There's, but again, I think the Tea Party, most of the, a lot of the people who find themselves in the Tea Party who go to the Northeast Tea Party are probably fiscal and social conservatives. Then there's others that are just fiscal conservatives, and there are others who are ultra-libertarians. Right. Again, I think everybody says it's a closed group, but I think it's actually a pretty broad tent. And when you articulate your principles and say what you believe, that draws people to you saying, okay, we can work with these guys over here even though we have differences over there. And it's very frustrating for us, too, because um, you know, my science and my literature, I'm a Republican. Uh, I don't run around and I don't claim any of these things. I mean, yeah. I, I know that I am in, in these groups or what have you, but it's, it's not us who are trying to claim one or the other or this one or that one. <clears throat> it seems to be everybody else that's putting it on there. And I will tell you this, and no, nobody said this, go and read the Republican Party platform of Texas. <laughs> it is the most extreme, right-wing, uh, Tea Party, libertarian document that you ever could. I mean, this is, this is not... We're not out there all by ourselves. The Republican Party used to be about what we're talking about here. I, I, I hate the notion that we've somehow gone and created a different party or anything. I'm trying to restore the values of what the Republican Party was and what I think it should be. Right. Well, but one thing I want to add Ms. real Fleming, quick, yes. uh, Evan, is that we need to get away from being so protective of a party label that we're willing to go over the cliff following just anybody. It needs to be about principle, and it needs, as Dick's been saying, it needs to be about liberty for everybody, economic freedom and liberty for everybody, rather than this blind loyalty to a label, really, in any party. Good place to end, given the nature of this conversation. We had a great discussion. I want to thank our panelists, Mr. Army, Ms. Fleming, Mr. Krause. Ms. McCarty, Ms. Medina, and Mr. Sicklin. Thank you all very much. We'll see you outside for a party. Thank you for coming. <laughs>